you can keep that uh, Habakkuk 3 passage out and in front of you, or if you have, have it open in your Bible, um, keep it out so you can refer back to it. Um, and then on page 5 in your bulletin, as a place if you'd like to jot down some notes, um, you may do that. We're finishing up our little mini-series in Habakkuk uh, this morning, and uh, buckle your seatbelts, chapter 3, we're going to do it all right now. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us um, that uh, you are our great God, our great Savior. I pray that you would help us to see you in this chapter. Um, you have written it and preserved it so that we would see you and that we would be uh, amazed at who you are and assured of um, your love for us and your desire to save us. And so we ask that you would help us by your spirit to uh, hear your voice in your word this morning, in Christ's name we pray, amen. So in this uh, series in Habakkuk, we've been talking about real-life prayers, about boldly bringing our complaints and questions to God, um, about taking our relationship with God seriously enough to uh, confess our frustration with God to God. And we found out in the midst of these kinds of prayers um, what C.S. Lewis said about prayer is true, that it's an opportunity for the real me to commune with the real God and to have intimate conversation with him. Habakkuk, we've discovered, is a great place to think about these things because the book itself is a prayer. Um, and the conversation that Habakkuk was having with God during some very difficult things that were going on in the life of God's people at that time. Uh, Habakkuk seems to have been taking seriously the message of Jeremiah, who was a, a prophet at the same time and to the same people as Habakkuk. Uh, Jeremiah 33.3 uh, says this. This is God speaking through the prophet. God says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And it seems that Habakkuk has taken God on his offer. Up, up on his offer. Right? He's called to him, and God uh, has done as he's promised. He's revealed some things to Habakkuk that he did not know. Um, and as we've discovered, um, in, in this kind of real-life praying, God does reveal to us things we don't know or didn't know about ourselves and about him. Uh, the last two weeks, we've looked at chapter 2 and discovered that in this kind of real-life conversation with God, God shows us things about our own heart. And we learned that uh, people who live by faith will unveil their hearts to God. They will, they'll have expectant hearts that rest in God's sovereignty. They'll examine themselves uh, and repent of their sinful self-reliance, and they will ultimately embrace God's mercy and rest in his salvation. 
This week, in chapter 3, we're going to see how God unveiled his heart to Habakkuk. And this chapter 3 is a, a prayer, really a psalm of Habakkuk. And as you see at the very end of the book, he has instructions that this be given to the choir master so it can be sung. Uh, so just as Nathan writes a song um, that he can sing for us and for himself, Habakkuk has written a song of, of praise to God in chapter 3. Um, so that's where we're heading with chapter 3 this morning. I, I mentioned three weeks ago when we began this series that the first time I preached through Habakkuk um, in the summer of 1997, I had not yet preached on chapter 3 when uh, my wife Christine was burned in a terrible grease fire kitchen, uh, grease fire, 38% of her body was burned. And I mentioned that, um, but during that 31-day stay in the uh, burn center in Mobile, um, we had so many visitors. Um, in fact, I was looking through this photo album that I'll tell you about in a minute, and, and there's a list of names of people who, who visited, who called, who uh, sent flowers, who I think we had over 300 cards and letters from people during that time. Um, but one of the, one of the people that uh, came by and visited, I, I will not forget this conversation that I had with this man who he himself had been through some incredible, incredible suffering. Um, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Jimmy, I've learned that during times like this, the question is not why, but what? What is God going to do, and what is he doing now? And I thought about it, I agreed with what he said, and I thought those were good questions. But then as I went back to Habakkuk, um, it, it looked and I realized, okay, Habakkuk was saying that too. In chapter 1, God was saying, why, God? Why, why are you allowing these things to happen and you're not doing anything about it? Then in chapter 2, he said, okay, um, I'm going to just stand here and wait and to see what you will say or do, God. But as I started study in chapter 3, I realize um, that while why might be a good question and what is probably a better question, there is a best question. There is an ultimate question. And I think chapter 3 asks and answers this question. And the question is, who? Who is this God with whom I have to do? Who is he? Because he's not always going to tell you why, and he's not always going to tell you what he's up to. But we can know who he is uh, to a great degree. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at as we dig into chapter 3. Um, that God wants us to know, regardless of what's going on, he wants us to know him. He wants to answer the question, who? Uh, who is God, and what am I supposed to do with him when there's trouble in my world and there's trouble in my heart? What am I supposed to do with God? So, we are going to dive in right now to chapter 3. Hang in there with me as we do a little Bible study so we can set the context. Um, 
Habakkuk has just heard how God intends to judge the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Um, After he uses them to judge his own people, he's going to judge the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk responds in chapter 3, verse 1, with this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. At first glance, you might think that the report and the work of God that Habakkuk refers to is what he just heard from God in chapter 2 about how God plans to judge the wicked. But it becomes clear from the following verses in chapter 3 that Habakkuk is referring to something else he has heard, some other report. Otherwise, I don't think he would ask God to revive it and do it again if it was all about this judgment he just heard in chapter 2. Some commentators believe that verses 3 through 15 of chapter 3 are describing a vision that Habakkuk's had of God, a a theophany, which is a a, a visible self-manifestation of God. And so they believe that the words used here refer to information Habakkuk receives. Um, They believe that the words he's using to describe God are from a vision he's had of God. But the fact is, the words that he's using to describe God in this chapter are words that he has received secondhand. It's a report um, of God's famous actions uh, on behalf of his people. I think, as we look at chapter 3, we're going to discover that it's a description of how God revealed himself in the exodus of his people from Egypt, how God revealed himself in the giving, giving of the covenant law at Mount Sinai, or the Ten Commandments, And then in the conquest of Canaan, the promised land, the descriptions he has of God are about God pulling his people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. We'll look at that in a little bit. Um, The report that Habakkuk has heard is about who God is in what he has done to keep his covenant promise to redeem and recreate his people. And so I was studying this, and I was thinking to myself, so where would Habakkuk have heard this report? And then I remembered Habakkuk prophesied during, during and right after the reign of King Josiah. And if you remember the story of King Josiah, um, Josiah was that young, he was eight years old when he took the throne, and he was a godly king. But it was during the reign of Josiah that Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law in the temple, which is amazing to think about, that for years, we don't know how long, the copies of the scrolls of the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, Genesis through Deuteronomy, were lost. And the priest says, hey, look what I found in the back closet. I found God's word. I found the law of God. And so he brought it to, um, I forget the guy's name, but he brought it to this guy, and this guy brought it to King Josiah, and, when, and, and he said, read it to me. And as they began to read Genesis through Deuteronomy to King Josiah, 
tore his robe and wept. And he said, we're in trouble. And so he gathered all the elders of the people. He gathered all the people together. And King Josiah himself read the law of God to the people. Now, you think my sermons are long. He read Genesis through Deuteronomy to these people. And um, their response was revival. The response was revival. And Josiah began to uh, implement massive reforms in Judah. Uh, He had the people destroy their idols, and he reinstated a more accurate practice of the Passover, uh, so much more accurate that it was said that no no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. So, that, I believe, is where Habakkuk heard the report. Because in hearing, in being there and hearing Josiah read Genesis through Deuteronomy, he would have heard the story of the Exodus, the Red Sea parting. And some of the language in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, you see it's talking about God splitting the seas and riding his chariot through the waters and all this description and routing the nations. Um, He heard this report when he heard the law of God read. So, up until this point, essentially the conversation Habakkuk was having with God has gone something like this. Habakkuk. God, Josiah is gone, and so is the righteousness of your people. Why aren't you doing something about this? God answers, I'm about to do something about this, Habakkuk, and you won't believe it when you see it. I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge my people as I promised Josiah I would. Habakkuk, well then what are you going to do about the Babylonians? Because they're more wicked than we. I'll just wait here and see. God, this is chapter 2 of Habakkuk, I will judge them for the same idolatry for which I will judge my people. But those who want to be righteous will live by faith in me and my faithfulness to redeem my people. Habakkuk, this is chapter 3. Habakkuk says, oh, I see now. I remember hearing Josiah read the words of Moses about your faithfulness to judge sin and redeem the people of your promise. I remember the amazing stories of your might and power. I remember hearing the report of your mercy on your people as you rescued them out of Egypt, entered into a loving covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, and led them victoriously into the promised land. Oh Lord, do it again, even now, in wrath, remember mercy. And I want us to notice that getting a glimpse of God's wrath and mercy in the hearing of God's story caused Habakkuk to want to see God even more right now in the midst of his story. He says in verse 2, in the midst of the years, revive your work. In the midst of your years, make it known, God. Do it again. In wrath, remember mercy. Show yourself to us, God. Let us see you right now, right here in real life. And so then he, in verses 3 to 15, paints a poetic picture of the events of God's salvation and his provision for his people. 
He didn't focus on what the people did. He didn't focus on what Moses did or even what the enemies were doing. His focus is on what God did and who God is. And it reminds me of this photo album that Christine made um, in the years following her burn accident. Um, And uh, all throughout it are pictures and memories of, of what took place. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it's all in there. Notes that we took, pictures that the surgeons took, notes from people, um, recovery. But all through this album, this is what's amazing about this album, is as you look through the pages, there's scripture weaving all throughout the pages of all the hard things and good things that happened because of that fire. Isaiah 43 that we sang this morning is woven all throughout, all throughout it. This album is a collage of memories that through and through point to the majesty, might, mercy, and mystery of God. So that when you read it, you get a sense of here's someone whose focus is on who God is in the midst of hard things when the questions why and what are not being answered. And that's what the gospel story of God's work to save his people is. The Bible is the story that God has given us that answers the question, who is God? And what am I to do with him? Um... Larry Crabb summarizes the book of Habakkuk with two words, tremble and trust. Tremble and trust. And so I think those are great words to summarize what's happening in Habakkuk chapter 3. First, our response to God when he shows us who he is, is to tremble, to be amazed. If you can't know the whys and if you don't know the what's of what God's doing, you can at least be amazed at who he is. And so look at the things that uh, Habakkuk says he's amazed. Um, and, and the words that make me think of tremble and be amazed are in verse 2. He says, your work, O Lord, I fear. In, in verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles, my legs tremble beneath me. Uh, Habakkuk is standing in amazement at who God is. And so, four things to tremble and be amazed at about God. First, we should tremble and be amazed at his majesty. In verses 3 to 4, Habakkuk says, His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. And when Habakkuk says in those verses that God came from Teman or from Mount Paran, it's a reference to Mount Sinai, the place where God took his people after he delivered them from Egypt and gave them the law. There, he claimed, him at, claimed them as his own prized possession and made a covenant with them as their king. Um, this is the place from which God came with majesty. If you go back and read, um, the mountain would be covered with a cloud of fire. And the people were so afraid, they didn't even want to touch the mountain. And that's the one that Moses went up into the cloud 
and saw the glory and splendor of God. Jesus, too, is our majestic king. He said he is the light of the world. Jesus is the majestic king whose brightness was like the light and who will stop at nothing to be in covenant with his people and deliver them. So tremble and be amazed at his majesty, but also tremble and be amazed at his might. Habakkuk describes God as a warrior king in these verses. Um, In the process of saving his people, God demonstrated his might. Follow these verses with me, starting in verse 5. In verse 5, he showed plagues and pestilence to Egypt when Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, and to Israel when they worshipped idols they made with their own hands. In verses 6 and 7, our description of, of God's might displayed as he led his people through the desert. In verses 8 through 10, he describes the parting of the Red Sea as they were delivered from Egypt and the parting of the Jordan River as they entered into the Promised Land. In verses 11 through 12, uh, those verses picture God as clearing out the pagan nations who inhabited Canaan so that his people could possess their Promised Land. It also includes a reference to the day when God made the sun and moon stand still for almost a day so that Joshua and his armies could rout their enemies. So Habakkuk just kind of talks about that. So you can see that he's thinking through the story of God's rescue and deliverance of his people. In Jesus, God is a mighty warrior. Paul said that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Jesus is our mighty warrior king. He gave his own life to fight for and provide for his people. And we should also tremble and be amazed at his mercy. In uh, verses 13 to 15, Habakkuk again describes God's mighty deliverance of his people from bondage in, in Egypt. And in verse 13, he tells us why he flexed his muscle and used his power. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God is a merciful warrior. Um, And what kind of people did he go and flex his muscle to rescue? A bunch of grumbling, complaining folks like us. Habakkuk remembered how merciful God was to his forefathers, and that's why in verse 2 he could say, in wrath remember mercy. So on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, because of Jesus, we can say with the apostle Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is proof of God's mercy. We need to tremble and be amazed at it. And finally, tremble and be amazed at his mystery. Habakkuk 3.4 says that God's brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. It's interesting. That sounds like he unveiled a whole lot of power. But he veiled He didn't show it all. Um, It's like the sun. Consider the sun. We feel the rays of warmth of the sun. 
but yet we don't really know and experience the real size and power of that ball of fire. And so, though God's majesty and might and mercy occasionally break through in our lives in rays of sunlight, and we can enjoy them, there's still a power and uh, transcendence and mystery in God that we've never experienced and could never understand. Hebrews 12 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Be amazed at his mystery. Stand in awe. And Jesus, though he is God in the flesh, is also God in the flesh. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1 says. Be amazed at the mystery of Jesus. When Christine was burned and we went through that whole experience, God showed me those four things. He showed me his majesty, his might, his mercy, and his mystery. He showed me his majesty by just uh, just saying, you're not in control. I have absolute sway over every part of your life. He showed us his might in in the same way by saying, your life and breath are in my hand. Your life is fragile. I have power over everything. But he didn't just show his majesty and might. He showed us his mercy. Because what we feared was a sign that God did not love us turned out to be a great sign of his love. Because he gave us Christ, and he gave us the body of Christ, God's people. We experience the mercy of Jesus through, just directly through his gospel and through his people in ways that we had not experienced before. And may not have experienced had this tragedy not happened. And there's one other sweet gift of God's mercy that He doesn't always promise, but he gave to us. I told you that that fire happened on June 19th, 1997. And it was a horrible day. But one year to the day, on June 19th, 1998, we happened to have a doctor's appointment to see the ultrasound of our first baby. And uh, we knew we were pregnant, but we were going for that first appointment, you know. And on June 19th, 1998, it wasn't just one baby. There were two. God in his mercy redeemed June 19th for us. Now, he he doesn't always do that. He won't always do that. But that was a gift of his mercy to us. And so now we have, since then, we have celebrated... June 19th, because later on, on May 3rd, 2002, he gave us another little life. He's sitting back there. Um, We celebrate on June 19th in our family, we call it Life Day, because he spared spared Christine's life, and he gave us three more. Um, 
sweet little gifts of mercy that are not promised but are appreciated. But then he also revealed to me his mystery. It became clear that God cannot be managed or manipulated as much as I like to think he can. He can't. If you remember the story of Narnia and Aslan, the the great lion who represents Jesus, uh, what was it that Mr. Beaver said about Aslan when I think it was Lucy said, is he quite safe? Mr. Beaver said, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This God we're dealing with is not safe, but he's good. Tremble and be amazed at who he is. But then also tremble and be assured of two things. Um, Two things. Habakkuk's uh, faith, his trust, his confidence in God was not dependent on Habakkuk's circumstances, but were instead dependent on God's character. He said, I will quietly wait. And he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Um, So because of God's character and in spite of his own circumstances, Habakkuk could be assured of two things about God. He could be assured of God's salvation and assured of God's strength. In verses 17 and 18, He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He could be assured of God's salvation. Now listen, here were the circumstances that Habakkuk knew that because of the judgment that was coming would be true for himself and God's people. He says, the fig tree won't blossom. There will be no grapes on the vines. The olive crop will fail. Fields will produce no food. There will be no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Habakkuk lived in an agricultural economy. What he was describing was total loss. The loss he's describing would mean that everything would be stripped away. No security, no prosperity, no home, no food, no health, nothing. And we have to ask ourselves, what has been or threatens to be stripped away from us? Those may be our circumstances, but here's the character of God. He is the God of my salvation. John Calvin said, whenever signs of God's wrath meet us in outward things, this remedy remains to us, to consider what God is to us inwardly. For the inward joy which faith brings to us can overcome all fears, terrors, sorrows, and anxieties. So what is God to us inwardly when every outward thing is lost? Habakkuk knows. He's the God of my salvation. And I will take joy in Him. We're not singing it today, but that that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, I forgot to suggest it, but if we did it, I would not be able to make it through it. So, And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. What a great hymn. The second verse of It Is Well With My Soul summarizes this point perfectly. 
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. This was written by a man who had just lost his four daughters in a shipwreck. And his hymn was a hymn like Habakkuk's, a hymn of his assurance that outward loss was no match for the inward gain of having his soul claimed and cleansed by the redeeming God. How people write these things, I don't know. When we think that God is doing nothing about our present circumstances or injustices, we have to remember that he's done something about our injustice toward him. Our helpless state of separation from God. What has he done? He's poured out the wrath that we deserve on his own son Jesus who did not deserve it. And that's why the third verse in that hymn says, My sin, and then he stops. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. You can be assured of God's salvation, no matter the circumstances you're in. And secondly, you can be assured of God's strength. In verse 19, Habakkuk said, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. His circumstances at the time were that he had no strength to stand. He says, uh, rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He had no strength in his legs and feet to carry him through what he was about to go through. But the character of God that he remembered was that God is strong when we're weak. That Yahweh, the great I Am, the name he gave to Moses to tell his people when he sent Moses to lead them out of bondage to freedom. This is the name of the God who saves and gives his people strength. And so because of Jesus, we, like Habakkuk, can take joy in our God who will one day make our feet, even feet that lost a couple of toes in a fire, He will make our feet like hind's feet. A hind was a deer or a gazelle. And we will walk sure-footed on heaven's high places. And while we're there, we will look back with hindsight. And we will see clearly the answers to the why and the what. But in the meantime, we find our strength in who we know. Jesus, whom this table shows is a majestic, mighty, merciful, and mysterious God who loves us no matter what. Father, we thank you for giving us this great picture in Habakkuk 3 of who you are. Forgive us for forgetting Forgive us for refusing to get our eyes off of what's around us and and back on who you are. We have to come and sit and hear your word to remind us. We have to come and, and see and hear the gospel preached in this table to remind us.
that the God who walks through with us through the flood and the fire is the suffering God. Who was broken and bled for us. So even now, as we meet with you at this table, would you encourage us and show us who you are so that we can be amazed and assured. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.